Well, thank the Lord, everybody. What an exciting day it is. I always love Let's Imagine Sunday. And those new photos, my Lord. We saw the originals. I was like, I don't think it can get any better than that. But somehow they got better than the originals. Uh, it's exciting. It's an exciting thing to be a part of the process of what God is doing. And it's an honor. Okay? And, uh, you know, that's what we're in. We're in the middle of a Let's Imagine campaign, and, and there's going to be a new temple. And you, you really have got two choices. Um, you can watch God operate and bless and do the miraculous through somebody else, and you can watch it happen and then be a part of the new building and the new church and, and, and get to enjoy it. Or you can have the miracle happen in your hands. You can, you can be a part of the journey with other people. And I'm telling you, the first service in that new building is going to mean something different to somebody who has sacrificed and invested and, and for three years have poured into something, a vision. It's going to mean something different to the people who were a part of the process instead of outside watching the process from the outside. So I encourage every one of you today, be, be a part of what God is doing here at First Church because it's, uh, it's incredibly rewarding. Um, I would like to uh, thank Pastor Mike. He, uh, he reached out to me on, on Friday and asked me to speak here today. It was not something that was planned. And uh, I just want to say publicly how much I appreciate you, sir, and uh, your family and what you do for this church body. Everything that, that you carry so that Pastor and Sister Hoffman could be free from day-to-day -day weight and be able to cast vision for a new building. But I have learned something about you, Pastor Mike. I have learned that um, if you call me on Friday, I will no longer be answering your phone calls. <laughs> As for the second time in a month, Friday around, around 11, 30, 12 o'clock, I get the call and uh, then proceed to have an intense prayer meeting with Jesus Christ. And uh, as bad as those phone calls are to receive, they're nothing in comparison to Pastor Hoffman's Sunday morning phone calls that, uh, that you can get. But uh, of course I am joking. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to speak to you today. Um, Pastor taught me years ago something that, that's just never left me. Uh, he said many... Many people are called to serve God. That invitation is towards humanity. But, but a lot of people will answer that call to serve God. He said, now out of those people who are called to serve God, um, a smaller portion of those people will have the privilege to serve the man of God in, in a local assembly. And that's an incredible honor to be serving God and helping to serve the man of God. And then pastor said something that just resonated. He said, but the highest honor that you can have, he says, not serving God, it's not serving the man of God. He said, the highest honor you can have is serving the people of God. And so that's what I'm doing here today. That's why, that's why I was joking about the phone call earlier is because I'm, I get to serve God and serve my pastor and I get to serve all of you. So it's an incredible, incredible honor. Um, a few weeks ago, I, I uh, preached a message called The Middle, and we had a lot of fun uh, with 
generational birth order and firstborns compared to middle children where, you know, we've got our own syndrome named after us. And, uh, and of course, the youngest or the babies of the family. And it was so fun having all of you come up to me and, and share your stories about your childhood and, and where you fell into the birth order. And, uh, so today we're gonna kinda, we're gonna kinda start out that way. We're gonna continue to pick on the firstborns a little bit more. Um, and all the secondborns said, Amen. But, uh, when, when crafting a sermon and God, God gives me something that, you know, when you're reading scripture or you get a thought or a lot of times things will happen in, in prayer, um, and I'll just get something and pause and it, usually if I do a, huh, that's, that's God telling me, spend some time there, search it out, you know, dig a little bit. Um, but that can happen in a broad sense and that can happen in a very narrow sense. And, and what I mean by that, for instance, um, I was teaching, I was teaching Bible study on Thursday and we were talking about, um, the, the different prophecies that were concerning Jesus Christ all the way back in the Old Testament. I believe we were in, um, Isaiah. Uh, we were talking about, in fact, if you can, will you look up that verse for me? Um, it's Isaiah. There we go. And so I was, I was talking about this prophecy. Now, Isaiah was over 400 years before, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. And I was teaching this Bible study and I said, and it was a, it was a narrow focus into this verse because I started to think about, it's only one verse, but I thought, well, what in the world was Isaiah thinking? What in the world was he, was he feeling? Because this verse makes a lot of sense to you and I, but we are on the other side of Calvary. So it makes sense. But what must it have been for Isaiah to, to, the Bible says that, 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 uh, the Holy Ghost inspired ancient men of old to write down and, and it was an inspired thing that, that the Holy Ghost prompted men to write. And so Isaiah is, is being prompted to write this and writing down, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. And, and I just picture him writing this down. Oh, that's pretty good. The Lord himself will give you a sign. That's great. What else, Lord? A virgin, yeah, shall conceive. Like, imagine what that must have felt like or thought for Isaiah. I said, said, God, are you sure? This is going in a book with my name on it. Are you sure? And Isaiah never did see this promise come to pass. Like I said, it was, it was over 700 years in the future. But... That is my, uh, an example of a, a deep dive into, you know, where you put your, you put yourself into the author's mind and what it must have felt like and the context that it was written in. But today we're going to kind of take a more of a broad approach where we, we try to identify principles or themes that are woven throughout scripture. So you've got the Genesis through Revelation and you're kind of, it's like zooming out and looking at scripture as a whole. And so I'm just going to take a few moments today. I'll be mindful of your time. Uh, I want to talk to you just a little while about second is greater than first. And all the secondborn said amen again. You open your Bible and you won't read too long before you come across um, a story of Cain and Abel. Now, Adam and Eve uh, were obedient to God, being fruitful and multiplying. And they, and they had a son. His name uh, was Cain. Then they had another son, his name was Abel. Now, the Bible's very clear that Abel brought the firstlings of the flock, 
And it says that God had respect unto Abel and to his sacrifice, but unto Cain, he did not have respect unto or his sacrifice. It made Cain very, very angry, the firstborn. He ends up killing his brother over this. And, and so it, it tells me, you know what? If I'm looking at just these two isolated brothers, you can't be greater if you're a murderer, right? Right? So we read a little bit further. Abraham and Sarah, uh, the father of faith. God makes a covenant with Abraham, uh, tells him that he is going to have a son with Sarah. And, and she laughs at God. They're very, very old. And Sarah ends up telling Abraham, go have a, a son with your uh, handmaid, Hagar. And Abraham, that's what he did. He went and had a son, and that son's name was Ishmael. And then God opened the womb of Sarah, and they conceived and bare a son, and his name was Isaac. Now, the Bible says that Isaac was the child of promise. And as great as Ishmael, still, Ishmael was great. God blessed, and, and just because he was Abraham, God blessed him. But it was nothing compared to what was upon Isaac and the blessing and the favor and the anointing of God that was upon Isaac. And Isaac was greater than Ishmael. Then Isaac gets married. He has uh, a wife by the name of Rebekah. They have uh, twins, actually. It's found in Genesis 25, 23. And the names of their sons are Jacob and Esau. Now, has anybody ever heard when referencing this and go back to Sunday school, has anybody ever heard of Esau and Jacob? It's always Jacob and Esau, right? But Jacob is the second born. The Bible says that, you know what, two nations are, are in your womb. Um, you know, they're both going to be great, but the second is going to be greater than the first. The elder is going to serve the younger. This uh, in, in uh, you know, their culture, this was backwards because the firstborn had a birthright and the firstborn got the blessing. They got a greater inheritance, but God, God's the king of the curveball. He likes to, he likes to switch things up a little bit. And, and that's what God is establishing in scripture is that the second is going to be greater than the first. We move on down the line and, and we have somebody, um, but Jacob has Joseph, right? Jacob's the one who had all of these sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, but Jacob, God miraculously guided his steps. He is, he is the greatest Old Testament representation of Jesus Christ. He was sold into slavery. He was betrayed, um, you know, falsely accused. God miraculously puts him into a place of prominence in Egypt, which was the most powerful country in the world at its time. And God planted Joseph there so that Joseph, Joseph could be the means of redemption for the people of Israel, right? And so when there's a famine in the land, all the people of Israel came. Egypt had food. Joseph is the one who ends up having two boys. You know their names? Ephraim and Manasseh, right? It's the same thing. We don't really say Manasseh and Ephraim. It's Ephraim and Manasseh. But Manasseh is the older son. Ephraim is the younger son. When, when it comes time for Jacob to bless his grandsons, Joseph is very strategic because Joseph knows the right hand of my father has to be upon the oldest boy. 
because the right hand is the hand of blessing and power. So he, he strategically brings his boys to Jacob. Bible's clear. It says that Jacob wittingly crosses his hand and lays his hands upon the boy's head to where his right hand is on Ephraim and his left hand is now on Manasseh. It's backwards. And, and Joseph actually gets a little upset. He says, not so, my father. You know, you've got to put, your, your hand is on the wrong boy. Manasseh is the firstborn. And Jacob says, listen, man, I, I know what I'm doing. This is, the, this is the way God has it. Like, they're both going to be great, but the elder is going to serve the younger. Are we noticing a, a little bit of a trend here that the second is greater than the first? Now, it's not just true with people. Okay, I've always wanted to go to Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, uh, get one of those, you know, a tour guide. And and in fact, Pastor Mike, can we put that on the calendar? We could do a church retreat and and go to Jerusalem. Uh, it's always been a dream of mine. I, I want to see I want to see the buildings. I want to see the the terrain and the mountains and and walk the earth that Jesus walked and I just want to experience that in my life personally but as amazing as that is that is not where I want to spend forever we have a verse in in Revelation 21 verse 2 this is what it says and I John saw the holy city the new Jerusalem you know, there's, a, there's an old Jerusalem and there's a new Jerusalem. One Jerusalem's got bricks for roads. The other one's got gold for roads. One of them has is, is got brick and mortar walls. The other one's got jewels for walls. One of them's got, got earthly gates. One of them's got gates of pearl. And as amazing as Jerusalem is, especially for a New Testament believer, it's nothing to comparison to the new Jerusalem, the one that is to come, because the second is greater than the first. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it says, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last man, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. The last man, Adam, is talking about Jesus Christ. He was the one who was made a quickening spirit. There is a direct correlation between Adam and Jesus Christ. That's why pastors always taught, you know, that God said, let's make man in our own image. God didn't have an image because spirit hath not flesh and bone. As when he's explaining to doubting Thomas, spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me have. So if God is spirit, John 4, 24, that spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. It has no image. How did God say in the beginning, I'm going to make man in my image? The image was Bethlehem. The image was, was Jesus Christ. And so that's where, that's where Pastor says if, if Adam walks through that door and Jesus walks through that door, he thinks they're going to be identical twins because he took the blueprint for himself to create humanity right? That's why I think what, what, this bio, what this verse is talking about. You've got the first man, Adam. 
He's a living soul. The last man, Adam, is a quickening spirit. In fact, if we go to the next verse, this is the one that says it teaches us that, you know, um, natural things are first, then spiritual things. Natural things, Adam, then spiritual things, Christ, right? So we think about this, and I think about what happened with Adam. Adam was, was ruler over all. He was given dominions over everything. And then God said, it's not good that man should dwell alone. That always blew my mind, right? That God would say that because Adam had an unbelievable relationship with God himself. Walked with him, talked with him in the coolness of the garden, right? But God says, nope, you're alone. That's why I believe so strongly in a community of people, a community of believers in life groups is because you're not made to live life alone. Because even though Adam had a relationship with Jesus Christ closer than you and I ever had, God said, you're alone. We need one another. But, but Adam, God caused Adam to have a deep sleep and then he performed surgery. And the Bible says out of his side, took the rib bone and crafted a bride, crafted Eve. And Adam wakes up and, and it's a good day. He wakes up from a nap and he's got a bride, right? The rest of us have got to pursue in court, form a first date, ask permission from parents, you know, try to be funny, try to make sure we're cleaned up and shaved up. And like, there's a lot of work that goes in to getting a bride, not Adam. He took a nap and woke up with a bride. How many single guys in the room wish it was that easy, right? But out of his side came his bride. And if that happened with the first man, Adam, could it have happened with the last man, Adam? And so I find Jesus Christ nailed to a cross, paying the price for you and I. And the Bible says that, that he gave up the ghost. God that was living inside the vessel exited the vessel and the vessel died. He went into a pretty deep sleep. Okay. There's even a verse that, you know, Jesus resurrected somebody from the dead and they said, she's dead. He said, nah, she's just asleep. It ought to tell us that no matter how dead you think you are to Jesus, you just need woken up. Okay. So he's in a deep sleep on a cross and a Roman soldier takes a spear and it says it pierces his side and out of his side comes blood and water. Blood and water are remission. Blood and water are how you and I get to be reconciled to him. Blood and water was the beginning of the creation of his bride. So just like Adam had something come out of his side and created a bride, Jesus Christ himself had something come out of his side and created his bride. And that's, that's you and I. We're actually the second Eve. And if the church is the second Eve and the second is greater than the first, how great is the body of Christ? How great is the church of the living God? 
it's a powerful, powerful concept. We have in scripture that God makes a covenant with a group of people. This happened in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses goes up to Sinai. He gets the law. He gets the tabernacle blueprints. Uh, the tabernacle was essentially the gospel in the Old Testament. This is how a people who have sinned and are distant from God get to come back into the presence of God. Here's the blueprint of how that happens. But the Bible is very clear. When, when Moses is getting these uh, items, it says there was a tempest. So there was wind. There was fire on the mountain. 3,000 people died. And, and that is how God decided to establish the first covenant. How many people know we got a second covenant? We've got a new covenant. We got a new will and testament. That's what that book means when it, you read it and it says New Testament. It's the testament of the new covenant. Okay. And just like it happened in the beginning with Moses, God establishes a covenant. We've got a new mountain. We're not come unto Sinai. We're come unto Mount Zion. There was a wind in the original covenant. And in the book of Acts, it says suddenly, there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. There's the wind. It says there was fire that fell on the mountain. In the book of Acts chapter 2, it says there was cloven tongues like as of fire. There's the fire. 3,000 people lost their life. 3,000 people found their life in the new covenant. The second covenant is superior to the first covenant. That's why Jesus taught, I didn't come to get rid of it. I came to fulfill it. It was weak in the flesh. Now it's not. Now it's strong in the spirit because it's a greater covenant. We have an amazing story. There's a man in the Bible by the name of Nicodemus. He's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant man of his time. And, and he's embarrassed, doesn't want to be seen talking to this radical rabbi by the name of Jesus Christ. So he goes to Jesus by night, try to be concealed. I don't want anybody seeing me. And uh, I mentioned Jesus is the king of the uh, curveball. Can you bring up Oh, you've got it. Look at you. Then came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi. So this is Nicodemus talking. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. It doesn't sound like he's asking for anything. It just sounds like, hey, you know what? You're doing some great things. So we know that God's with you. And, and the king of the curveball responds and says, and in verse 3, Jesus answered said, Verily I say unto thee, except you be born again, you cannot enter in the kingdom of heaven. Now, how does that fit with what Nicodemus said? Does anybody else follow me? It doesn't really seem to make sense. Hey, we know you're come from God. You must be born again. But this is the priority of Christ. See, Jesus doesn't always tell you what you want to hear. He'll tell you what you need to hear. And Jesus is saying, it's not a suggestion. He says, you must be born again. You see, you, you didn't have a choice on, on your first birth. Every person in this room came through the womb of a woman. I don't care what society has to say. Came through the womb of a woman. 
Men don't have wombs. Women have wombs. This is God's design. And so if you came through the womb of a woman, you have experienced the first birth. But Jesus is teaching, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus, as brilliant as he is, was thinking earthly, thinking natural. Jesus said, no, this is a spiritual thing. He qualifies it. He said, Nicodemus says, how do I enter into my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus says, except you're born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. I'm reading it. Jesus said it. If you haven't been born again of the water and the spirit, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. This is a biblical fact. But think about this. So you might say, well, how in the world? How do I get born again? Let me just go ahead and take a few minutes and tell you how you get born again. The, you, you don't get born again with repentance. Okay. Repentance is something that John taught. Repentance is something that Jesus taught. You have to repent. Repentance is a turning of direction. It's a change of heart. True repentance demands change. I can't just continue to do the same things over and over again that displeases God and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, and call that repentance. That's not repentance. Repentance demands change. And repentance brings you to the new birth. Jesus said to be born again is to be born of water and spirit. How are you born of water? It's water baptism in Jesus' name. Okay, we baptize completely underwater because that's what the Greek word means when, when we say baptize. It means to dip, immerse, or to plunge. We use the name of Jesus Christ and water baptism. One, because it's what Jesus taught. Two, it's what the disciples did. And three, we don't need to change what they did. If it was good enough back then, it's good enough today. Because the name of Jesus Christ unlocks the power to the blood. If you don't have that key to get to the vault of Calvary, you can't have access to the blood. If you don't have access to the blood, you can't have remission. If there's no remission, you didn't get changed. So that's what happens in water baptism, born of the water. Now, how do you get born of the spirit? Baptized means to dip, immerse, or to plunge, right? Bible talks about being baptized of the Holy Spirit. Same word. How do I dip, immerse, or to plunge into God? When you get baptized, you're dipped, immersed, or plunged into God. When you receive the Spirit of God, He's dipped, immersed, or plunged into you. I in you and you in me, right? That's the Word of God. So how do you receive the Holy Ghost? You have hunger and you have faith. And the Bible says in Acts 2.39, this promise, what promise? The promise of the Holy Ghost. It's unto you, it's unto your children, all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God should call. That's pretty vague, pretty open. If you want it, you can have it. If you believe you can have it, you're going to get it. And God will literally fill your vessel with his spirit. And that spirit helps you, leads you, and guides you, assists you, comforts you. How else are you going to have peace that passes understanding? Like, 
the, the, the power of God that's living inside of you is nothing short of extraordinary. In fact, it's so amazing. There's a verse that says, he'll give you power over the power of the enemy. It doesn't mean a whole lot when you read it in English. When you read it in the Greek, you know what it, you know what it translates to? It says, he's going to give you authority over the ability of the enemy. I'm telling you, authority is greater than ability. And when you have the power of the Holy Ghost, now you have the authority of the throne room of God. When you speak, it's like God speaking. When you walk into a room, God walks into a room. It's a powerful, powerful experience. And that is how you go through the second birth. The second birth. And it's, a, it's an amazing, but listen, the second is always greater than the first. We have a verse in the book of Acts, Acts 7 and verse 38. And uh, it says, this is he which was in the church in the wilderness. The Bible is very, very clear. Like We like to call ourselves First Church. That's our name. It's on our branding. The reason why we call ourselves First Church is because what I mentioned before. What did they do in the first church in the book of Acts? How did they, how did they exist? What did they believe? What, what happened to them? And if it happened there, it should happen here. And that's why we're called First Church. The truth is, I don't really know how accurate that is. Because according to Acts 7.38... The Bible says that Israel was the church in the wilderness. Notice how precise the word of God is. He didn't say they were the church in Egypt. He didn't say they were the church fleeing from Pharaoh. The word is clear. They're the church in the wilderness. Why? Is because they were once in bondage. They were once in Egypt and they were slaves. But God decided, I'm going to get you out of slavery. I'm going to get you out of your chains. I'm going to be your deliverer. And how it happened, there was blood that was applied to the doorposts while the angel of death passed. There was 10 plagues, the last plague. So you have an application of an innocent lamb. The blood was applied. Then Pharaoh lets them go, and, and so they, they start leaving Egypt with all the spoils of Egypt. They gave them all their money, and they said, just get out of here. And then Pharaoh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart again, changed his mind. They start pursuing an army after them. After, after Israel left Egypt, they come to the Red Sea. And this is such a, such a fun uh, story to read about. And they're looking behind them, and they've got chariots. they got an army that's chasing them down. And all they've ever done for hundreds of years is, is to make bricks and make babies. They're not, they're not skilled in war. They don't have weapons. They don't have anything like that. So an intimidating army is chasing them down. It would have been no contest. They're looking ahead of them, and there's this sea. There's nowhere to go. And so Moses starts crying out to God. I think it's Exodus 16. It's either 16 or 14. He starts crying out to God, and God responds with another curveball. 
He's, Moses is saying, hey, we need some help. And God says, why criest thou unto me? I'm thinking, well, because, because you did the 10 plagues and you're the one who got us here and, and, and you're the one who's, who's brought us to this point. And God says, quit crying to me. Tell the children of Israel to move forward. And Moses lifted up his staff and they moved forward. The waters parted. They went through the water, got to the other side. Pharaoh's army pursued after them. The walls of water collapsed. And in a moment, what was chasing them was destroyed. So now we have the application of blood with the angel of death. Then you have the going through the water and what was behind you in your past is now destroyed. Then God says, you know what? I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you. I'm going to be a, a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. I'm going to keep you warm at night and I'm going to provide shade during the day. And I'm going to lead you. And in fact, there was people, um, their only job was to watch the fire and to watch the cloud. And, and when that cloud or fire lifted and started moving, they would say, God is rising and everybody knew it's time to pack up shop because God is on the move. And they were led by the Spirit of God. That's why there's a verse that says, uh, if you're led by the Spirit, then you'll be called the sons of God, right? You have to be led by the Spirit of God. If you're serving Him and He's not leading you, you're in real trouble. You need to reevaluate whether or not you're a son of God or not. So you have the application of innocent blood, you have the going through water, and you have being led of the Spirit. It's, it's an Old Testament concealment of the New Testament covenant. It's, there's a verse that says it's, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the honor of kings to search it out. When you see something like that, or you feel that pause in your reading, or you get a thought, it's the honor of kings to try to sift that out and figure out what is God trying to say to me right now. So that's the way scripture is set up. It's revealed over here and it's concealed over here. And we have a concealment of the, of the birth, New Testament birth in uh, the Old Testament. There's a, it's not, it's not in my notes. There's a, there's a wonderful story. Uh, how many people know the story of the, the 10 lepers? You know that story? Uh, in fact, we did an Easter play here a long, long time ago. And I was just a teenager, and I was the leper that got made whole. Thank God I had enough sense to fall back and worship. Um, but the story is there's 10 lepers, and they're all, you know, leprosy is horrible. It's got your, your extremities start to fall off, and they smell. It's really, really nasty. And, and the Old Testament, wherever they went, they would have to say unclean because you, you can't spread that and you have to stay away from the unclean thing. And they come to Jesus and they, and they want to, uh, be healed of their leprosy and God heals them of that leprosy. And Jesus says, you know, go show yourself to the priest and tell them to offer the offering that Moses commanded. So they turn away and they start going to the, uh, to the temple where the priest is at. One of them turns around and comes back and worships. This is so powerful when you, when you understand Old Testament scripture. 
we still have the offering that Moses commanded. We still know what that is. It's in, it's in Leviticus 14. It says that you get, you get two birds, you wring one's neck, you catch the blood. You take the blood of that bird, you put it on another bird, you tie a scarlet cord around that, you let that one go. That's, that ought to be real easy for you to grasp, right? The innocent bird that shed its blood is Jesus Christ. That blood gets applied to you and I, and we get set free, okay? That's, that's, that's pretty basic. But then it goes on, it says, now the priests need to wash. They need to wash their hands. So now I have water again in the offering that Moses commanded. Then after you get washed up, it says, you're to take anointing oil, and you're to anoint the right earlobe, the right uh, thumb, and the right big toe. I don't, I haven't, I haven't been given revelation as to why it's the right thumb, right? I don't know. But what I do know is throughout scripture, anointing oil is associated with the spirit of God. So we have the shedding of blood. We have the washing of water and we have an application of anointing oil or the spirit of God. When that, when that leper turned around to Jesus, and fell down and worshiped. He is declaring to Jesus Christ, I'm doing what you said to do. He said, go show yourself to the priest. He showed himself to the priest, the high priest. And by doing so, is telling Jesus, you need to offer the offering that Moses commanded. The leper that fell down and worshiped was confirming the cross for Jesus Christ because he's the, the bird that gets his neck wrung and pours out his blood for you and I. That's the amazing perfection of the scripture. If I were to say to you, uh, what is the firstborn son of God? What would you think of? Now, you don't have to tell me. You're probably wrong. I was wrong. My mom was wrong yesterday. Sister Esther wasn't wrong. I don't know. Do you remember me asking you that? It was in my Bible reading. I'm doing chronological this year, my Bible reading. Um, <clears throat> so it's a little bit rough. You, you read, like right now I'm in Chronicles, so I'll read, I'll read a little bit of Samuel and then I'll read Chronicles, and essentially it's kind of the same chapter. So you, you, it's good for learning because it really gets driven home, but um, it was the end of uh, January and I was reading Exodus 4 because in Chronological you start out, you go from Genesis and you get to Abraham, then you read all of Job, then you come back to Genesis, anyway. So by the end of January, I was in Exodus, and, and I was reading something. And I, I remember asking you about this because it was so revelatory to me. I said, man, you know what? Because we do that. She shares stuff with me about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to memorize the Psalms, and, and, and we just kind of talk Bible, you know, times. And I, I dearly love our elders that, that I can do that with. And, um, and I said, hey, you know the firstborn son? of God is the nation of Israel? And she says, well, yes. 
Like, I felt about this big. Like, like, oh, man, is that something I should have known? Oh, I'm feeling a little embarrassed. If we put that verse on the, on the screen right here, Exodus 4, verse 22, and it says, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord. This is God talking to Moses. This is what you're going to say to Pharaoh. Thus saith the Lord. It's pretty, it's pretty definitive, right? God's saying, hey, you tell him I said it. Thus saith the Lord. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. I'd have thought it had been Adam, the first creation, the first existence of humanity. If not Adam, maybe, maybe Jesus. We know Jesus Christ, the son of God, firstborn. No. God says Israel. You see, that, that firstborn son to God wasn't reserved for an individual. It was reserved for a group of people. It was reserved for a community. And it begs the question, if Israel is the firstborn son, and I know the secondborn son is the child of promise, I know that the secondborn scripturally is greater than the first. I know this principle is woven through scripture. If Israel's the firstborn, and they're great, when they got into the wilderness, there was an evil report when they sent the spies back out. They came back with a lack of faith. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, were, were in. The other ten were like, nah, we can't, we can't do this. They got giants. They got a walled city. It's, we, we can't do that. They're greater than we are. In fact, the Bible says that we were grasshoppers in our own sight. Not in their sight. In our sight, we were grasshoppers. It matters what you think about yourself. It matters your thoughts and, and, and understanding of who you are in Christ. You are not a grasshopper. You're the giant. And so I read about these, these stories of, of Israel because they're the firstborn. And I want to show you how amazing Israel was and how great they were. They, they crossed Jordan. This is the second time they crossed a body of water. First time it was a sea and, and it parted. They walk through on dry ground. This time, Jordan's a river. It's, it's not a stationary body of water. It's a flowing body of water. And it says that it's like God just kind of put his hand down and blocked the water, and they walk through. Now, you're talking millions of people. This isn't a 10-minute ordeal. This probably took hours. And so this the wall of water is backing up. I don't know how high it got. And it's up to your opinion or not, but I personally believe that the greater miracle of walking through the water was Jordan over the Red Sea. That the second time they did it was greater than the first time, but that's your opinion. They get into the land of Canaan that God had promised them. They go to a city by the name of Jericho. We sang about it today. Walls are coming down, right? Where does that come from? That comes from the beginning of Joshua when they're in, when they're in Jericho. And they would march around this city once a day for six days. Then on the seventh day, they had to march around that city seven times. At the seventh time, they let out a shout. Can you imagine being in the, the army of Israel 
and marching around this city. How they, how they had their cities back in those times. They had walled cities, and you could walk on the top. And it was a defense, right? You had to not only get up and over a wall or through a gate, but you, it was a point of attack. You could throw things, you could shoot bows and arrows, and you get what I'm saying. When they're marching around, I don't know how close they were. I promise you, the people on the wall, after about the third day, ain't nothing going to happen when these people march around our city. It's going to just be just like it was two days ago, just like it was yesterday, certainly by day six. I'm just telling you, I promise you, they were mocking them. They were throwing things at them, unspeakable things, I would imagine. But on the seventh day, those walls miraculously came down. And God gave Israel a miraculous victory. Then from there, uh, a guy by the name of Achan took some things from Jericho. God specifically said, don't you touch anything in Jericho. It's all mine. This This goes back to the Blessed Life series that we do every February. But Jericho was a tithe. Jericho was the first fruits of what he was giving Israel. It belonged to him. And Achan stole the cursed thing, the Bible says. And because he sinned, God said, Israel has sinned. It matters what you do when nobody's watching. It matters what you do that nobody knows about. Because your righteous living affects the blessing of God on this body. And if you've got secret things in your life that nobody knows about, It's hurting this body. In fact, it hurt the church in the wilderness so much that because Achan sinned, they sent sent the army to the next city that was like it was going to be a a piece of cake and 36 men lost their lives. 36 wives lost their husband. How many kids lost their fathers because of a secret sin that Achan had done that affected the church as a whole? It's important how we live. It's vital to how we live. After that, they removed the curse. They, they, it's, it's pretty crude. The Achan and his wife and his kids and his cattle, everything that he has, they destroyed. And, um, and they continued on. It's over 30 kings, 30 different cities with 30 different kings, 30 different armies. They annihilated them. They wiped the floor with them. It wasn't even, it wasn't even close. It was victory after victory after victory. And I'm thinking, this is the church. Everything that was written about them was written for our learning. If they went from victory to victory to victory, as long as there was no secret sin in your life, God's not going to let you fail. God's not even going to let you stumble because in Deuteronomy 14, listen to, listen to this verse right here. Deuteronomy 14 verse two, it says, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a particular people unto himself above all the nations upon the earth. God's not calling this church to be exalted above all the nations on this earth. Remember, what's true is natural things first, then spiritual things. We're, we're, not the, we're not the earthly children of Abraham. 
the sands of the shore. We're the heavenly children. We're the spiritual children of Abraham. We're the stars in the sky. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers and principalities, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. And just like God said he would do for Israel, I'm going to elevate you above all the nations. The nations are the ones that attack them. The nations are the ones that try to, to overcome them. God is saying, you know what? If I did it for them and they're my firstborn, how much more am I going to do it for my secondborn? How much more am I going to direct your path? How much more am I going to provide the miraculous in your life? How much more am I going to elevate my bride, my son, my daughter, my children above every principality, above every ruler of the darkness of this world? That's why you say, we have a verse that his head is bruised by my heel is because God has given us supernatural dominion over whatever can come against you. And as long as you're a part of the body of Christ and we're living consecrated together, the gates of hell can't prevail. You know what gates are? Gates are funnels. We just talked about Jericho, right? Walled city, cities. There was a gate where everybody had to funnel and go into the city or go out of the city. Bible says the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. That, that means no matter what's going in or coming out of hell cannot prevail against you. You don't need to be afraid of hell. You don't need to be afraid of Satan. If he could have killed you, he'd have done it. He can't even attack you without permission. He needed permission to attack Job. He needed permission to sift Peter. What are we afraid of? It's our job in this hour to rise up in this generation to reach our world, to evangelize our world because this world needs Jesus. It's broken, but he's the solution. He's the answer. As you stand. Now, as I mentioned, God, God planted this in my, in my life um, at the end of the end of January. And I, I, to be honest with you, when Pastor Mike called me, I was like, oh, I got to figure out if I got something. And I, I told you, I said, I don't really, I don't really have anything, bro. Like I went through my notes and thank God I had been keeping notes and this was in there. And so I started practicing, fine tuning, rehearsing this. And, and I said, oh yeah, it's let's imagine Sunday. I love let's imagine Sunday. I love getting the updates. I love just revisiting the mission. I said, well, how in the world can I? It's always nice to try to tie it into the vision, right? You try to, you try to be wise, and God, God helped me to be able to see why I'm here today. We saw it in the video. Carl and Mary Hill, they started this church, bus ministry with children, and they got to where they, they rented a storefront uh, in Madison Heights, and they grew out of the storefront, and then they got into a school building over off of Gardenia Avenue in Madison Heights. And somewhere along the journey in Madison Heights, Pastor Hoffman got the prompting of the Holy Ghost 
got the stirring of God inside of him. And God, God gave him a vision of a new building. It's incredible. This was the, this was the piece of vacant land that they stuck a shovel in. In fact, there's a picture over here. You got the hard hats on, Brother Hill's over there with Pastor Hoffman. This was the first time that first church broke ground. Look around. The stories. I got the Holy Ghost right over there. 1993, July 23rd. How many of you have stories in this building? How many miracles have happened around? I remember right around here, Barry Bray, he was in the 915, fell down, his cartilage was destroyed in his knee. Got a miracle right there. Never walked on crutches again after that moment. How many miracles have happened here? What miracles happened to build this? Jack Hill was laid off for two years, I believe. Not really a great thing. But God used it to be a great thing and miraculously provided a project manager for this building. I can go on and on and on of what God did to, to help build this church because we didn't build it. God built it. And we have the privilege of having the benefit of elders and a pastor who has already done this. And the second is greater than the first. And that same Holy Ghost prompting that Pastor Hoffman had in a building in Gardenia, that same feeling, he had the vision for years, never had the release. That's how I know there's gonna be a building because he wanted to do it a long time ago and God said, not now. Got to a point where God says, okay, now's the time. You couldn't stop a building over there if you tried. Because when God orders it, he provides everything that's needed for it. That's what I'm telling you. Be a part of the process. Because God's going to provide it through your hands. But as great as this place is, I think about, I think about the people. I think about the Mike Gibbses that are going to be taught a Bible study and are going to come to the new building for the first time with young kids. And I think about God getting a hold of his heart. And I think about those kids growing up in church. And I think about God having such favor and generosity with his kids that allows me to be before you today. How many more Mike Gibbses are there in this community? How many more people are there that we're going to reach? We're going to reach them because the second is always greater than the first. And to you elders that are here, that were a part of that first process, what an amazing opportunity you have. I don't have that opportunity. I wasn't there before this was built. I didn't get to sacrifice for it. But to those of you who were there and you've already paid the price, 
you've already sacrificed to get us here. Don't think that you can't be a part of getting us there because you've got the opportunity to do it again, to do it a second time. And the second time you do it will be greater than the first time. Can you come with me around this altar? Come with me up front. I just felt when, when I was preparing for this, and I think it was, it was confirmed with the songs that, that the team sang behind me. They were all celebratory. Did you notice that? They were all up. And I, I really just felt like we just need to have, we just need to have a time of worship. A time of what a man by the name of Steve Willoughby called downpour worship. Worship that you ought to be embarrassed to do. If you're not embarrassed of your worship, it's what David, David leaped and danced before the Lord when the ark came back and his wife's looking out a window and she gets mad at him because she's embarrassed. How could the king behave like this? That's the kind of worship I need to have because God's done more for me than he did for David. I'm on the other side of, uh, on the other side of the cross. I know redemption. I have forgiveness. My sins have been washed away. I've been filled with his power. How could I withhold a worship to my God if David was willing to do it before a box? How can I not be willing to do it before the king of the box? So they're going to sing behind me. And uh, I, I think there's so much power. I'm sorry for being a little long-winded, but there's so much power when we partner up with one another. The Bible says one chases a thousand, two chases 10,000. There is an exponential growth in power when we come together, right? I saw it, I saw it on, on Monday night a few, a few weeks ago. I had elders praying with young people. I had young people laying our hands on elders. There was a harmony and a unity in this room. It was, it was nothing short of miraculous. When we, when we prayed for one another and we go into the trenches with one another, there's something powerful that happens in the spirit. Very powerful. Because we're adding one to a thousand, two to ten thousand. Now we've got more power together than we had as individuals. I felt God challenged me. He said, why are we so quick to pray with people, but we don't link arms and worship with people? If we can unlock the power of worshiping together, you won't have to worry about signs, wonders, miracles. They're gonna follow them that believe. But when we worship together, it unlocks the supernatural to happen so they're gonna sing and and honestly this this is a little bit of a risk to, to to put this out there but if you respond to what I've just said the miraculous will happen God will show up and so right now they're gonna sing the rest is gonna be up to you you can have as much of God as you want to have and it's up to you today 
Over breathe.